Have you ever experienced a break in a significant relationship with a loved one? It may have been with a family member, a sibling, a parent, a spouse, or a child. Or maybe with a best friend, a close friend, a childhood friend. If you have, then you're probably familiar with its effects. Hurt, pain, discomfort, fear, shame, guilt, and the list goes on and on. It's possible that you were the one that was offended. Or maybe you were the offender. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that deals with a break in a relationship. And this wasn't just any relationship. This was a relationship between God, the creator, and his creation. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And we're going to be continuing with the series, Alive in Christ. And this morning, the sermon is titled, A Reconciled Life. So if you're a Christian, God has restored your relationship with him by Christ's death to present you blameless in his sight. Now, as a reminder of what Pastor Jeremy has already preached for, uh, in previous weeks, in the previous weeks, the church in Coloss came about as a result of the proclamation of Epiphras uh, of the gospel. Paul is the author of this letter, and he writes as a response to the false teaching that sprang up in the church. There were some people that were saying that the Colossian believers needed to add to the gospel in order to experience a full life in Christ. And so Paul writes this letter to remind the believers in Colossus that they had a full life in Christ because of his reconciling work on the cross. And so in previous weeks, we've seen that it is God who qualified the believers in Colossus to share in the inheritance of the saints. And we see that in verse 12 of of chapter 1. It is God who delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them to the kingdom of Christ. Verse 13, and it is in Christ in whom they had redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 14, and last week we heard that it is through Christ that God was pleased to reconcile all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 20, so Paul helps the Colossian believers understand the reason that they were alive in Christ was because of the work of God in their lives, not because of anything they had done or because of anything they could do. And so we turn to our passage this morning, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now our sermon passage today helps us see the beauty of Christ as he took upon our sins 
and our punishment so that our relationship with God could be restored. So what drives this passage is that the reconciling work of Christ on be, uh, is the reconciling work of Christ on behalf of believers. This is the main point of the sermon. And if you're taking notes, there are four points. The first point is we see in the text is the need for reconciliation. And we see that in verse 21. Paul reminds the believers at Colossus of their condition, their problem, before they were saved. And there in verse 21 we read, And they were, they were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Now if we go back to Genesis, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. He created the world. He created people, including the believers at Colossus. And as created beings, all people are accountable to God, the Creator. In Colossians 1.16, Paul reminds them that they were created by him and for him. And the prophet Isaiah explains that man was created for God and his glory. So there was a time when man lived in a perfect, loving relationship with God. Naked, without shame, and without the need to hide from him. It was God's intention for man to live under his good and righteous rule, enjoying him fully obeying Him and living in perfect relationship with Him. That was and still is the only way that man can truly be happy and satisfied. However, something happened that broke man's relationship with God. Man rebelled against God, rejecting Him, rejecting His authority, His care, and His goodness. When Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree, they not only broke their relationship with God, they rejected God Himself. In other words, they declared their independence from Him and decided to live for themselves, and as a result became His enemies. So man became alienated from God. Now, to be alienated is to be estranged, cut off, or separated so after man rebelled, things were no longer right with God. Man became ashamed and guilty before God. We see that in the way that Adam and Eve responded after they sinned. After being able to walk with God, or after God walked with them in the garden. It, uh, Genesis, in Genesis we read that Adam and Eve hid from God. They became estranged from God because they had exchanged Him for a lie. And from that point forward, worshipped and served the creation, creation rather than the creator. James tells us that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. And it's clear that in the New Testament that God sees sinners as his enemies. An enemy is more than someone who you don't get along with. To be an enemy is to be actively opposed or hostile to someone. So since the fall, man has been working overtime, putting effort to walk in the opposite direction to that of God, says one theologian. Sin is more than just doing a few things that are bad. Sin is a problem that has hijacked our, our nature 
Everything that man does is contaminated by sin. And it is this sin that triggers the hostility of God. Why is there hostility with God? One might ask. After all, isn't God all loving? Compassionate? Kind? Well, it's true that God is loving, compassionate, kind, merciful, forgiving. But He is also holy and just. His love never cancels His justice and His righteousness. And Scripture tells us that because He is just and righteous, God will deal with evil. Habakkuk says in chapter 1 verse 13, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. He says this about God. So this loving, merciful, and compassionate God is also righteous. And He will not overlook or tolerate sin. The hostility with God arises from God's demand for holiness. Now, think back to the time when you were living without Christ, if you are now a believer. To that time where you were alienated from God. You might have grown up going to church, singing songs, putting money in the collection plate, but living in rebellion against God, not submitting to His authority. Or you may have grown up flat out rejecting God, not caring about Him. You and I, at one point, were alienated and cut off from God. We had no Savior, no Jesus in our life, no purpose. In the same way, Paul reminds the believers in Coloss that before they were saved, they were alienated, foreign, and separated from God. The prophet Isaiah said the following regarding the break in this relationship. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And there in verse 21, Paul continues saying that their minds were hostile, which led them to a lifestyle of evil deeds. Another result of sin is that all people set their minds on the things of the flesh. This means that people's affections and desires and cravings are set on satisfying their sinful appetite. In their past, the Colossians' thoughts opposed God and their hearts were idolatrous, desiring everything other than God. Sin had affected all of their being, including their mind. Their behavior was a reflection of their thoughts. They became enemies of God, deserving His wrath. And all people are guilty of this, including ourselves. So if you're not a Christian, I would like for you to understand that this broken relationship with God is also true of you. Apart from Christ, all people are guilty of treason against King Jesus. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And none is righteous, no, not one. Let me ask you, do you see your need to be reconciled to God? Because if you do, God is calling you to turn from your sin and to believe in Christ. 
If you're a Christian, do you remember your condition before you were saved? I'm not asking you this to make you dwell on the past, but to remind you of God's grace in your life. Their past of the Colossian believers was mentioned to draw attention to God's infinite goodness towards them. And so I ask you, does your previous condition lead you to praise God for His loving kindness to you? Let's not forget where we have been saved from. And this leads us to our second point. The means of reconciliation. The means of reconciliation. And we see that in verse 22, in the first part of verse 22. Paul writes, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. If man's rebellion has alienated him from God, then sin must be dealt with. As Christians, we believe God when he says that our sins deserve to be punished. It's not just a few sins that need to be corrected. It is our human nature that is our problem. It's not that God's laws are wrong or bad. It's that the problem is found in us because we're sinful. All people who are without Christ are criminals that, des- that deserve judgment. This was true of the Colossian believers and it's true of all people today. There can be no fellowship with God and man as long as with God and man as long as there is enmity between us. If people are to be forgiven, something must be done about the hostility. How terrible would it be if that were If that were it, if there were no remedy for our problem, nothing but inevitable doom for all people. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul reminds them that at one time they were separated from Christ, alienated and strangers to his promises, having no hope and without God in the world. I think that I know what Paul was doing by reminding them of their past. You see, in order to understand good news, and under, in order to embrace good news, it must be understood in light of the bad news. The Colossian believers were in trouble and deserved to be exterminated. But then in verse 22, Paul reminds them of the good news. Jesus Christ restored their relationship with God through His death on the cross. We read there in verse 22, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. Now, to reconcile means to change or exchange. One theologian describes reconciliation as to restore a friendship and to make up a quarrel. It is to have good relations after an enmity has been overcome. Now, arguments and enmities are a part of life today. Not by God's design, but as a result of sin. Thankfully, they are not always permanent. 
While there are times when offenses are so bad that there can be no reconciliation, there are also times where wrongs can be corrected. And this is what Paul was reminding the Colossians about. The problem had a solution. We have seen that the root of man's enmity between God and man is sin. Sin is the barrier that stands in the way of a good relation between God and man. And God took it upon Himself to fix the problem, to destroy the barrier, and did so by sending His Son to die on the cross to deal with sin. It was Christ's substitutionary atonement on the cross that paid the full penalty for their sins and of all who believe in Him, of all who turn away from their sin and turn to Him. Because of Jesus' work, it is now possible for men to have fellowship with their Creator. And Paul wrote to the Romans, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Romans 5.11 This implies that reconciliation had been accomplished on the cross and offered to those who receive it. Jesus' coming is great news to a fallen and destroyed world that is dead in sin. He came to reconcile repentant sinners to their Creator. How? By taking our sins and the punishment they deserve on Himself. He died in the place of all who repent and believe in Him. Jesus' mission was to come and die on behalf of His people so that we would be reconciled to God. When the angel appeared to Jesus' mother, Mary, he told her that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21 In other words, he would restore their relationship with God. Jesus knew the significance and purpose of his death. Mark records Jesus' words where he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. At the last supper, Jesus took the cup and declared, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus laid down his life to reconcile his people to God. His death on the cross was the central point of the apostles' preaching and teaching. Why? Because Jesus' death accomplished what no man could ever do on his own, including the believers at Colossus. It was what Christ did, not what man does, that brings about reconciliation. Man is inadequate to, to save himself. Remember, sin has affected every part of man, including his mind, will, emotions, and body. It has affected all of our being and everything we do. It is God who intervenes and reconciles repentant believers. He is the one who takes the initiative to reconcile the lost. So from a few weeks back, do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Yeah. It was Christ who showed up uninvited to save him. Remember the prodigal son? It was the father who was looking for the son day and night. 
And so salvation takes place by divine intervention. Christ's death in his physical body is the means by which people are reconciled to God. Christ's sacrifice on the cross has removed the enmity between man and God by replacing it with peace, as we see there in Colossians 1.20. Christ's death on the cross satisfied God's wrath, making it possible for man to be right in right relationship with God again. And the result then is the sinner's relationship is changed from enemy to friend. So Paul reminds the believers at Colossus that Christ's death made it possible for them for them to have new life, which meant being forgiven and having peace with God. Is this how you identify yourself with Christ? Do you see your salvation as a relationship that has been restored between you and your Creator? Or do you look to Jesus as a divine vending machine who has come to give you all of the things on your Christmas list? So many people today believe that Christ came to save us from negative thoughts, low self-esteem, to provide us with jobs. But this is far from the truth. While he may provide some of these things, this is not why he came. Jesus came to offer new life, a restored relationship with God by his death on the cross. And this is what Paul reminds the believers at Coloss about. And so this leads us to the next point, the purpose of reconciliation. The purpose of reconciliation. So far we've seen that the Christians at Coloss were reminded of their condition as enemies of God and of the means of the reconciliation. And now in the second half of verse 22 we find the purpose of it. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The purpose of Christ's death was so that he would present the redeemed to God without sin and holy in God's sight. God is holy and he requires that we also be holy. We find this throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we read verses such as Leviticus 11.44, Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. We also read, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In the New Testament, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, you therefore must be perfect or complete, as your Father is perfect. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 3.21-22, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What this means is that through our faith in Christ, the righteousness of God is credited to us. This is what's called imputed righteousness. To impute is to ascribe or attribute something to someone. When we place our trust in Christ, God ascribes the perfect righteousness of Christ to the believer so that we become perfect in his sight. 
So Christ's righteousness is imputed to the believer through faith, and the believer's sin was imputed to Christ, though he never sinned. This is how Christ paid for our sin debt to God. By having, by having His righteousness imputed to us, we can be seen as sinless, as Jesus is sinless. It is not our perfection, it's His perfection. This is why we believe that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and it has nothing to do with our works. Christ's work is not only applicable today, but also for the future, when the redeemed will stand before God, holy and above reproach in His sight. Regarding future glory, there will be no one to accuse believers before God. The redeemed will be free from all accusation. Once again in Romans 8, Paul writes, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ's death grants His people security in their salvation. When God's people are reconciled to Him, they are brought into right relationship that guarantees their salvation. A doxology that Pastor Jeremy reads on Sundays there in June, uh, Jude 24 declares, Now to Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. It was Christ's death that made us right with God and it is Christ's death that keeps us and preserves us so that we are presented before God. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. So if you think that you can earn your salvation, let me ask you to reconsider. The Bible teaches us that Christ has done all that is necessary for salvation. We cannot add to it or take away from it. And this is what Paul wanted to remind the believers at Colossus about. They didn't need to worship angels. They didn't need to do other things. The work was accomplished on the cross by Christ. Is this how you define your life? Is it one that is marked by gratitude because of His restoring work in you? Or is it one that believes that you have to earn right standing with God? That you have to do certain things in order to stay or to, to belong to God's family. Think about it for a bit. Because we might declare something, we might sing right theology, but our actions might display something different. Now, some might think that the security that believe the, the security that a believer has um, provides people with a license to sin. It supposedly allows people to live in any way that they want and still be saved. Paul makes it clear that this is not the case, and this leads us to our fourth point: the condition of reconciliation. The condition. Of reconciliation, and we see that in verse three, twenty-three. 
Paul writes, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So evidence of a Christian's reconciliation to God is conditional and can be seen in his perseverance and faith and obedience. Some of the blessings of being reconciled to God is that believers, inclu- uh, believers are declared righteous. They are made new creatures and have been given a new heart that now has new desires. These are desires to love God and to hate sin. Desires to obey God and to turn away from ungodliness. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a believer. A person who has truly repented of his sins and surrendered his life to Christ will not live a life that is characterized by continuous sin. Where a sinner is comfortable in his sin, a believer will be uncomfortable with it, will confess it, and turn away from it. We said earlier that man cannot save himself. Our efforts can never earn our salvation. In order for a person to be reconciled to God, one must respond to the gospel with faith and repentance. This is, what the apostle, this is what the apostles called people to do. This is what Jesus called people to do. Faith and repentance is characteristic of believers. A Christian is someone who recognizes his sin, turns away from it, and turns and trusts in Christ to save him from that sin. And he does this as a lifestyle. Trusting that Christ will also save him from the coming judgment. Now, faith is one of those words that gets tossed around. And depending on who you ask, you will get different answers. So it's important to ask the question, what is faith? Or what is biblical faith? Because this is the condition that Paul lays out for the believers in Colossus. It is not some kind of wishful thinking. That is, thinking about something long and hard until you're able to move God's hand to answer your request. It is also not to declare something many times or at the top of your lungs until the request falls from heaven. Biblical faith is to believe the solid truths of Scripture because they come from God. In our passage, it is to trust in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. It is to rely on Him and trust in Him to keep His promises. And Abraham is a good example of this. He is described as one who trusted in God without wavering. He was convinced that God was able to do what He had promised, according to Romans 4.21. He wasn't perfect in faith, and whenever he fell short, He repented of it and continued trusting in God. And believers are called to do the same thing. In our passage, Paul reminds the Colossians that they were alienated from God because of their sins. But Christ reconciled them in His body by His death so that He would present them acceptable before God. 
They were saved by faith and were to continue trusting in Christ. And so it is with all people today. Sinners are called to turn away from their sins and to trust in Christ for forgiveness. True believers will not turn away from the gospel, but will remain trusting in Christ, continually turning away from their sin and turning to Christ. Believers can be assured that the gospel that Paul was a minister of is the sure foundation for salvation. Paul calls believers not to shift from the hope of the gospel that they heard from Epaphras. The emphasis here is on the hope, namely Jesus Christ crucified on our behalf. This is the gospel that Paul preached, that the apostles preached. And this is the true gospel, the gospel that we find in Scripture. The gospel is not that God wants to fill your bank account or that God wants to do good things for you or that God wants to provide for your material wants. Although He does do that, the gospel is that man rebelled against God, deserved His judgment, deserves His judgment, But God took it upon himself to fix the relationship and reconcile repentant sinners to himself. So their hope is conditional. Proof of the Colossian believers being reconciled to God is found in their being grounded on the gospel and not shifting away from it to some other gospel as if there were another Paul mentions that the hope of the gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now one theologian explains that this means that God has announced the gospel to every creature under heaven. Although the proclamation is made to humans, it also extends to the created world, to wells, to waterfalls, to the creation that has been reconciled to God. So it is God, through His Son Jesus, who has once and for all declared to the world that there is reconciliation to Him through His Son Jesus Christ. And it is God's servants, of which Paul was, who was one, who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, declaring God's proclamation. So this text does not mean that all people will be saved. Now, living a reconciled life, in conclusion, is one that reflects a new life in Christ. This does not mean that you will not sin anymore. Because while we are on earth, we will continue to fight against sin. But we also hold on to the promises that God has made, that all will be made new and sin will no longer exist. When we are reunited to Him. We will be holy, blameless, and above reproach. This new life also doesn't mean that your circumstances will change. Surrendering to Christ does not mean that He will give you all of your, everything that you ask for. Or that He will take away that sin that you have been struggling with. You may still get fired from your job. 
you may still get sick. Your favorite football team may still lose the Super Bowl. What changes for a Christian is our position before God. Where we were once his enemies deserving of death and hell. We are now freely made right with God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you're visiting us today and you're not a Christian, how will you stand on Judgment Day? Will you be presented as an enemy of God, estranged and not known by Him? Or will you turn away from your rebellion and trust in Christ to reconcile you to the Father? If you are a Christian, are you trusting in the gospel of Christ that saved you? Or is your hope shifting to another so-called way of salvation? Let's pray. O oh, merciful, compassionate, patient, and loving Father, we come before you and we, we thank you for the salvation that you have freely extended to all creation. We thank you that it is you who initiates salvation. We thank you that it is you who seeks and saves. It is you who makes our relationship with you right. Lord, we thank you because if it were left to to us, we would be unable to do so, for we are sinful people. We do not love you as we should, nor do we love our neighbors as we should, but we love ourselves, and that love of self has created enmity between you and us. But we praise you for your son Jesus Christ and for his sacrifice on the cross because it is through him that we are now made right with you. It is because of Christ that we have been transferred from darkness into the kingdom of Christ. It is because of Christ that we went from being your enemies to your children. You have given us that privilege of being called children of God. So Lord, we pray that you would enable us to continue trusting in the hope of the gospel, that we would continue turning away from our sins and turning to Christ, that we would be uh, cooperating with the work of the Spirit in our lives so that we would reflect Christ and that we would reflect that new life that you have freely given that cost you everything and cost us nothing. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.